Um, I didn't think I was going to talk about resilience after watching that video. <clears throat> I think as I was watching that, I was like, I just want to dump my bank account out on the feet of Jesus and see what he can do with it. And I felt like the Holy Spirit whispered, okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I'm going to think about it a little bit. <laughs> um, we're in the follow series. We've been talking about ancient paths that lead to new levels of life. And I have been in ministry a long time, 30 years. And I have never sat across the desk from someone who's pouring out their story to me and telling me their life is not going well and have them say, you know, what I really want is to be unsatisfied and have a lot of broken relationships and be in debt until I mercifully go home to heaven. That's this is what I want with my, nobody wants to show up there. No one wants to arrive at that place. Everybody pretty much wants to arrive at a life that is full and flourishing with a soul that is whole and healed and free. The thing though, and I mentioned it two weeks ago, and I know it's, it's super profound, the way only goes where the way goes. The reason they ended up in Cambodia is because they got on a plane that was going to Cambodia. Had they got on the plane to Toronto, no matter how much they were well-intended, no matter how much they prayed in that flight that they would land in Cambodia, no matter how much they had studied the maps and looked at the GPS and knew about the culture in Cambodia, if you get on a plane that's going to Toronto, you're gonna land in Toronto. And it's minus 28 degrees there this morning. So <clears throat> flyer beware. Um, so these paths that we're talking about are paths that lead to life. They go to life. And, and sometimes we wanna get that thing in our head of like, well, my path is my path and your path is your path and my truth and your truth and all of that stuff. We, we, we do that with spirituality, but we really don't do that with anything else. We don't say if you spend more money than you make every month for the rest of your life, you'll definitely end up with a million dollars in the bank. No one believes that. We don't say if you eat whatever you want every day and sit on the couch for the rest of your life, you're gonna be super healthy. We don't believe that in most of the areas of life, but then we talk about spirituality like it's some mystery. How do I get to a life that is truly abundant and free? And so these paths are how. Get your feet on the right path, get your butt in the right plane, and show up at this destination of hope and freedom and life. And so we've talked about the path of listening, of beauty, of rest, of truth. Last week, Alex talked about the path of interdependence. And this week, we're talking about the path of resilience. Um, <clears throat> this concept came up for me last year. Resilience actually means the capacity to withstand or to recover quickly from difficulties. It means toughness, it means grit. And so I, I think the world is divided into two kinds of people, the kinds of people who pick a word for the year. I'm one of those people. I love to pick a word for the year. And then the kinds of people who mock the kinds of people who pick a word for the year. And so my word last year was resilience. Actually, it wasn't. It wasn't even resilience. I would never pick a word like resilience to be my word for the year. My word was freedom. But about three months into the year, so many things had hit our lives that were difficult. And we were taking a trip to Bend, um, kind of hoping to outrun them all, I think. 
And I complained about 17 things, like before we got to Salem. I was smoky, there were fires, there was weather, there was stuff. And Cliff complained about two or three things. And by the time I mentioned the smoke, for the I don't know how many time, he said to me, Bo, we're gonna end up being fussy old people if we don't get some resilience. We're gonna need some resilience. And I don't like that word at all, and I don't want that to be my word, but it ended up forming my year. It ended up being the thing around which our whole 2022 became built. So resilience, as I said, is the capacity to withstand or recover quickly, Um, the ability of a substance or object to spring back into shape. Uh, So I knew at that moment that this was not gonna be the word I wanted, it was gonna be the word I needed, and I started to find it in the overarching uh, narrative of scripture. In fact, not just one or two places, but everywhere. Resilience is writ large throughout the scope of the word of God. It is essential. In fact, the only reason we sit here this morning is because we follow a God who faced the cross with resilience. And so in order to create a starting point, for a new understanding of this word. We're gonna plant today in just one place, 2 Corinthians 4. This is Paul encouraging the church of Corinth. Now, Corinth is a busy, bustling city. It's a trade city. The church there is kind of messed up. 1 Corinthians is Paul writing to them saying, hey, you're kind of messed up. And then 2 Corinthians, it looks like they've made some turns and he's encouraging them, but he's also helping them understand how to live in a world where they do not belong and they are not received. Corinth is a place where uh, it's, there's trade, they trade spices and textiles and sex. There's the commodification of love. There are prostitutes in the temple. There is just so much going on and Christians are on the outside looking in, trying to figure out how do we navigate a culture that doesn't understand us and doesn't accept us. And into this culture, Paul says to them, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. I love this passage. At first glance, it looks like Paul is saying the treasure that we have inside these jars of clay is the power of God. But he actually isn't saying that. He's saying the treasure we have is that the power isn't ours. We have the treasure of holding the power. We get to be carriers, but not creators of the power. And this is a real gift. This is a real responsibility, but it is a real gift. We get to carry this, and this is really good news. But then, as Paul sometimes does, he launches immediately into the bad news. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. I was thinking about that line, hard-pressed on every side. That feels suffocating to me. And sometimes in our current culture, you probably didn't wake up this morning and have a driveway lined with Philistines ready to attack you. But maybe you had a mailbox filled with bills and you feel suffocated by something lined up against your life. And Paul says this, we're hard pressed on every side. I felt some of that. This word here in the Greek is the Greek word thalipsis. It's a word that I love. It shows up 50 times in the New Testament. And it means to press something, to put pressure on something in order to produce something better. So you put pressure on olives and you get olive oil. You put pressure on grapes, you get wine. 
So this pressure is producing something. And thalipsis is the word, sorry, for tribulation. It's, it's hard. It's suffering. And in the New Testament, a lot of times we will watch people's lives and the pressure that they endure and we'll be like, yeah, you should have you made better choices. You should have made better decisions. That's how that would have gone better for you. But in fact, when this word thalipsis is used, the suffering, it always includes an admonition that we can grow from suffering. And in 49 times of the 50 in the New Testament, it is used of suffering that is outside our control. It's just, it, it's just suffering. It hits us. So he talks about this pressure that it wants to produce something. We're pressed by affliction by our enemy, but the power of God can turn that pressing into something valuable and beautiful. This is the product of resilience. And then we are persecuted, which in the Greek means chased. We're being chased down. Hard times are chasing us, but we are not alone. God is with us. So if we run with God, our enemy will run into God. So that's cool. And then he says, we are struck down, but not destroyed. And I really was looking, this sounds like struck down sounds kind of final. That doesn't sound cool at all. That's like every gladiator movie I've watched where the sword hits and the head rolls away and it's done. But he borrows this term from sports. Paul is probably thinking here about sports struck down. And the word here destroyed, we're not, we're not destroyed. Destroyed in the Greek means complete and permanent. So when he says we're not struck down, he's pulling that from a, probably a wrestling term being struck down in wrestling. And I don't know wrestling, so I'm not gonna talk about wrestling. I know football though. I was raised as um, in an all-girl house and my dad used to line us up in front of the TV every Sunday to watch NFL football. I think maybe because he was lonely watching by himself and because he didn't want us asking boys stupid questions later on. And it worked for me. I Recently, a good friend of mine said, look at your life, you're doing what you always dreamed of. And I was like, no, this is not what I dreamed of. I wanted to be a quarterback. I wanted specifically to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. In my day, it was Roger Staubach, and I was a seventh grader who could name every player and their position and their stats on the Dallas Cowboys. And if you're wondering if that makes you cool with seventh grade boys, my answer is, who needs a boyfriend in middle school? No one. I mean, it wasn't cool. I was, I was a weird little kid, and I knew all that stuff, and I knew what it was to be a quarterback, and one thing that always frustrates me and frustrates me today still is when a quarterback gets sacked because they are not just getting hit. It's not just painful. They also have lost the ground. It could cost them even the game. And so as fate would have it, next week is the Super Bowl. Maybe some of you have seen, uh, read about it. <laughs> I was just glad I'm not speaking on the Super Bowl, actually. <laughs> Come and support Brad. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, it's Eagles Chiefs. If Patrick Mahomes takes that first snap, and he backs up in the pocket, and the linemen rush in, 300-pound, slobbering beast of men rush in and tackle him to the ground. I was thinking, what will his response be? Like, wouldn't it be something if he just stayed on the ground and pulled out his cell phone and called the police? I have been assaulted at work. I need someone to come and save me. Or if he stood up and was like, what is the coach thinking? I just got tackled. Does the coach exist at all? 
is there a coach? I don't know, maybe not. If I'm being tackled like this, then am I in the wrong game? All I wanna do is get the ball into the end zone. That's how you win. And all of these men are coming at me and trying to stop me. This can't be right. But the thing is, he's not in the wrong game. He's in the right game. If his, if his progress is being stopped, if somebody's trying to resist him, if there's resistance, you're in the right game. He doesn't make whatever amount of money he makes to get a cleared pathway to the end zone. He gets paid to get tackled time and time and time again. In fact, he has been sacked 121 times in his six-year career, and I bet every one of those times was painful. And so when we look at how we take a hit, it matters because every position on a football team can screw up a little. You can fumble the ball once or twice. You can throw an interception. Some things can go wrong. But the one thing every person has to do 100%, you have to execute flawlessly, is getting back up. Have to. And so if you've heard me speak much, you know that I love a good word bullet. I love a word bullet to shoot into errant neural pathways and get my heart back on track and get my mindset aligned with the will of God. So I will tell you that last year, my word bullet was shamelessly stolen from Chumbawamba, tub thumping. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And I'm gonna loan it to you. I get knocked down, but I get up again. The key is not in not getting knocked down. We could dodge and weave all day long. We could build a video game where that's all you do is hide. But that's not fun and that's not cool and it doesn't produce a good prize. And Paul is saying there is a prize and it is worth fighting for. And you are gonna encounter resistance because life is hard and it is time to pull up our grit and say, yep, I get knocked down and I'm gonna keep getting back up. That's the pathway of resilience. I wish I had a better answer, but I don't because this is life. All the times Patrick Mahomes has been knocked down in his life. He started playing when he was just a kid, played a bunch of sports. He's been knocked down countless, countless times. The first hit probably wasn't very hard. It was probably another six-year-old lanky, skinny kid. But then they got harder and harder and harder. And all of that resistance prepared him for this moment in a way that probably none of us in the room are prepared because we haven't taken the same hits. Hits produce something. They become a part of our makeup. And if eternity is the win, if it's the Super Bowl ring and we know it's assured to us, then we don't really have to overly analyze. Why is everyone trying to stop me? Why, it's just part of the game. This is part of it. This is what we signed up for. And it's part of the game, whether you're aware of eternity or not. I don't know a single person who has renounced their faith in Jesus Christ and doesn't believe it and is living their own life who says, my life is super easy. I never get knocked down. We all get knocked down. So these are the kinds of things Paul is talking about. He, he uh, has the credibility to talk to us about this. Couple of chapters down the road, he's gonna tell them that he has endured imprisonments, beatings, shipwrecks, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, loneliness, betrayal. He knows what it means to be knocked down. These are the things, these are the things that help him launch into a discussion about adopting a resilient perspective on setbacks. 
So if you feel hard pressed today or on the run from trouble or knocked down, this is for you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is what? Eternal. We have an eternal perspective and we know this is something big. Paul says we don't lose heart. This is a decision. This is an act of the will to say, I'm gonna get knocked down, but I am not gonna lose heart. I am gonna choose to keep my heart in the game. I'm gonna choose to access whatever grit I have in myself. I'm gonna choose to get back up again. And then he says, outwardly, yeah, we're wasting away. It's bad news. We acknowledge the truth that life here is not easy and it is not sturdy. Relationships and hearts break. People betray us. Things go wrong. Jobs go away. Economies crash. All kinds of things happen. Paul acknowledges it. And he is not asking us to deny the truth of that or to, or to suppress our emotions about it. Uh, we get knocked down and it hurts. We get knocked down and we feel it. It's okay to feel it. I'm not suggesting that. It's not like when our kids are little and they fall down and what's the first thing we say? Jump up, jump up. You're not hurt. You don't hurt. Actually, I have a niece when she was two, she hit her head on the brick mantle of their house. And my brother and sister, my sister and brother-in-law were watching her wondering what's going to happen right now. You know, you're waiting for the burst of screaming or the gushing blood or the something. And they watch her and she's got this stunned look on herself, her face. And then she just punches her sister. <laughs> it's just something she just gotta, like that really hurt. And I'm going to just kind of vent right now on somebody else. And then the sister gets knocked down. And so this is the cycle of life. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a hard, hard world. I love that the Israelites are so thorough in expressing their sorrow. I think we could learn a lot from it. They tear their clothes. They put ashes on their face. They shave their heads. This is not business as usual when they lose someone they love. They demonstrate it. In fact, it's so important to them. They hire people to help them carry the weight of the grief. It's such a big deal in their culture. We've got to express our grief. It's good to express it. Once you hit the astroturf and you're laying there and you're like, shoot, I got knocked down again. It's okay to feel it. It's just not okay to stay there. You gotta get back up because the world is waiting for the hope of glory and the hope of glory is inside of you. You can be honest about the hard stuff, but still have grit. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day, Paul says. This is a shift in perspective. Outwardly, all of this is happening. I'm dealing with the job. I'm worried about the kids. I have this marriage thing. I have all these things all out here looming at me. But inwardly, something is happening. I'm being renewed, not just for eternity, but now. And not just today, but day by day by day by day. There's something that God is at work. This is producing something in me. This is building something in me. We are becoming like Jesus. 
in our thoughts, our feelings, our decisions begin to become oriented around the person and purpose of Jesus Christ, especially if we turn to him in hard times. And I'm not pretending this is your only option. You, could, you can turn to anything when you get knocked down. You can, you can turn to any escape. You can turn to bitterness. You can be frustrated. You can be the world's victim. You can turn to anything. It just doesn't produce inside of you anything but bitterness and frustration and victimhood. And so he says, know what's going on inside you. Inside of you is where the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives. If that same spirit dwells in you, do you think he might be a part of your resurrection after you get knocked down? This is present tense. It's happening right now, but it's not all happening right now. It's happening day by day, and it's happening in eternity. He says, our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory. I think this is a little glib, frankly, what he says. Here's your light and momentary afflictions. Don't worry about them. No, he knows how heavy these afflictions are. But he says, these are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them. It's hard to focus on an unseen glory when we, we live in the middle of so much abundance. It's hard to be eternity focused in America, I think. But when I watch the video, I think, yeah, eternity is their hope. It's their hope. Most of the beautiful songs about heaven that we sing that are old were written by slaves because their focus was on eternity. Have you ever noticed old hymns? Verse one, two, three, verse four is always heaven. It's always when we've been there 10,000 years. Because there's this focus on what's coming, what's eternal. I think that it's hard for us here in America because we've worked really hard to build a pretty glorious land. And that's not wrong, but it can obscure the beauty of eternity by making this life seem like the main event. People to whom Paul was writing already expected future blessing to outweigh present trouble. They're like, it better. It better be better than living in Corinth in the middle of this madness. And so we have to work on our mindset so that we're also convinced there's something better coming than even this. There's something better coming. Um, <clears throat> Gentile philosophers of the day recognized that what was eternal mattered more than anything temporary. In fact, they, they believed that the world of ideas and philosophy was more weighty than the physical world. So they believed that our bodies, our big heavy bodies are weighing down What's going to actually, when we die, our, our spirit will, will float off to heaven because our bodies are the heavy thing. But Paul is flipping that around and he's saying, no, inside of you, there is a weight being created. There is something beautiful. It's like the weight of gold. I picture like this big treasure chest that you have to haul into heaven because this is what was created in you on earth. There is something being created. This glory outweighs all of the hits coming at us, all of them. We can face hard times with anger or resentment or frustration or victim mentality, or we can face it as the doorway to something more weighty and glorious. Jesus told a parable of the houses that were built on the sand and on the rock. Actually, I'm a, my, I tell you sometimes, my, gram, my grandmother was Mennonite and she had a bunch of sisters and they were lovely and they were really good cooks. They cooked with carbs and fat. I, my grandmother actually made me sandwiches that were bread and butter and sugar. And she had a thing that she didn't like skinny women. 
she would say this line, maybe you've heard it, a good stiff wind could knock her over. My grandmother and my aunts, they liked people who could hold their space. You've got to be able to stand in a stiff wind and hold your space. And Jesus kind of addresses it in this parable. He says, there's a house on the rock that's built on the, the way of truth. And then there's a house built on the sand. And when the storm comes, one falls and one stands. And the bad news in that parable is the storm hits both houses. There's, we, we sing it all the time. It's, Rains came, winds blew, my house was built on you, but the rains came and the winds blew, and that isn't very fun, even when the house stands, but the house stands. So resilience isn't just essential, it's beautiful. It produces something in us. So if pressing grapes creates the product of wine and pressing olives creates olive oil, what happens when we press people? What comes out of people? What's the product of resistance and resilience? One thing I think is strength. Resistance and standing in resilience produces strength. Like going to the gym, we put our stress on our muscles and then they get stronger. Life puts stress on our souls so that we'll grow stronger, so that the thing that used to knock us over can't knock us over anymore. Then our motto begins to change from I get knocked down but I get up again to nice try, that's not gonna work to knock me down. And then resistance produces perspective. It gives us compassion and, and it rearranges our core values and it, it reestablishes our purpose. Being knocked down in the space of losing a husband when I was still pretty young and walking through a treacherous illness with him changed the way I see people who are losing their spouses. It changed me. It built inside of me a weight that I think is, is kind of glorious good because I didn't care as much before. Getting knocked down produces perspective and understanding. If you're someone who gets knocked down by mistakes or sin time after time after time, when you're laying there on the ground saying, how did I get here? Great question. How did I get here? I should look at the gauges of my life and see what's going on. Where am I vulnerable? Where, why, why does this keep working? How, what are the strengths of my opponent and why does he keep coming after me in this area? But getting knocked down is a gift if it gives you time to figure out what's going on in your life and adjust something so you can stop getting knocked down, so you can start making progress, so you can start winning. It gives you understanding. Resistance produces humility because sometimes we need someone else's help to get back up again. I, this last week, I got knocked down just emotionally by a stu stupid thing. I mean, it's, it's real dumb, but it's attached to some deep stuff inside of me. And I carried it through the week just feeling yucky and heavy and frustrated. And finally, my husband sat me down and he goes, let's figure this out. Let's figure out where we are right now. What's going on? And he helped me walk it out and discover, oh, this is what it is. And this is how you can get back up. I needed someone to help me I needed someone to give me a hand to say, this is why you keep landing flat on your back. This is why the hits keep coming here. And so resistance produces humility and interdependence and the things we need. We can choose to respond to resistance with resilience this week. You can choose to respond when things come at you, whether it's a bill you can't pay or a legal case you didn't see coming or a red light that makes you late for work. I don't care, just any resistance, you can choose to say, oh, I'm gonna use this 
as a weight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lift this weight well. I'm gonna, refi- I'm gonna stand. I'm gonna see if I can stand through this. And if I get knocked down, I'm gonna feel it and then I'm gonna get back up again because that's what I have to do. Or you can even decide, I'm gonna build resilience on my own. We call that fasting. <laughs> fasting helps you build resilience. Uh, committing to getting up earlier helps you build some resilience. Is there something you love and think you can't live without? Live without it for a day. Decide, I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet resilience head on. I'm gonna lift some weights. I'm gonna become stronger. A year from now, I don't want the same things to be knocking me down. A year from now, I wanna have the strength to help somebody else up. So we're gonna gather around the Lord's Supper this morning, around the greatest act of resilience the world has ever seen. The, the God who chose to endure the cross, to pin himself to the cross for you, for me, for all of humanity, for the times when we think we can't possibly get back up. Jesus died for that. If you'd open and take out the bread. On the night before he died, Jesus gathered his followers together and he said, This is my body. It's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so together, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's eat together. In the same way, Jesus blessed the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for you, poured out for your failure and your heartache and your sorrow, poured out for every time you're the kid who gets sacked in the game, poured out for all of the struggles that will make you who you are. This is my blood. Together we remember the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and we drink together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you not just for the body and the blood, sacrifice for our redemption, but thank you for modeling for us a life that goes first, a life that stands and stands again, a life that ultimately rises to newness of life. We love you, we thank you, God. I pray for every soul today that feels hard pressed on every side, that feels struck down, that can't get up. I ask God that you would come in your goodness and your compassion and your strength and your life and show them the way to get up again. We love and worship you in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, will you stand with me for the benediction? If you'd like to receive this, you can put your hands out in front of you. May you be people who recognize the value of a good fight. May you let every setback grow you in strength to stand and give you grace for when you fall. And when you get knocked down, may you be the people who get back up again. Amen. Have a great day today. We love you. We'll see you next weekend.